two hours, doubling down college baseball early season opening week. Why wouldn't we drop two podcasts within a matter of days or a week, whenever you find us with one another? And I think the focus on this amateur hour, much like all that we've done for the last couple of years, are players that are supposed to have exceptional seasons on teams that are supposed to have exceptional seasons. I'll be honest, one more than another, the one out west more than the one that's back east. But in this amateur hour, it's two players that play for high-level academic schools, schools that aren't for everybody. But for Tommy Troy at Stanford and for Enrique Bradfield at Vanderbilt, they are for them. And because they went there, they are better. Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton, Danny produces this great podcast and lined up two amazing guests. I begged her to get Tommy Troy. I've been a fan since he was a junior in high school. There was always so much to like about him. Son of a cop, a career cop. Uh, his mom is amazingly strong. He chose Stanford. He went there when they couldn't even go there. Pandemic, had to like stay elsewhere, nearby, sneaky apartments to kind of crash near the campus. Like that's how his time started. He's had two incredible seasons. He's homered in the College World Series. Oh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the super athlete Tommy Troy. He's kind of lived a bit of a dream, I think, so far in college baseball. If you look at it, you look at back-to-back trips to the College World Series, going to his dream school. He talks about the support of his family, the guys that are on that team, the guys who have come before him on that team. And it's it's interesting to pick his brain about those things and why Tommy Troy is the way that he is and it was it was very cool to learn about his mom and dad and why he is the way that he is because of them we also I I was really interested in learning because I do feel like it's really special to go to the College World Series we know that right to go back to back years in your first two years in college feels unheard of to me to get the opportunity to do that and to shine the way that he has he has a favorite game it wasn't in the college world series i'll leave it at that it is an exceptional game it led to the college world series but we learn a little bit more about what he loves about the game and and yes he is your favorite one of your favorites we can say that i think that's fair so stanford's in the preseason poll ranked third vanderbilt 11th they don't take 11 teams to the college world series so i'll say right now That's a team that would not be directly predicted right now to go to the College World Series, yet they kind of have helped grow it as much as any program, and their coach has helped grow it. And now they've got a super athlete who is front and center. Um, Dare I say, because he mentioned his name, college baseball's Ricky Henderson. Maybe without the swag, um, his swag is a bit more understated. College player, get it. Uh, Vanderbilt college player, get it. Um, but Enrique Bradfield Jr. is so much fun. Look, he was a kid that went to, to PG National in, in 2019 and, and ran a, a quick one. I mean, he ran um, you know, a, a two or a six two, I think it was, something like that. Um, and the interesting thing going back on both those, both those dudes were at the 2019 PG National. Both those dudes are going to be high first round draft picks. And they didn't make the PG All-American Classic. As a matter of fact, I listened to Bradfield. Uh, my high school coach, Jeff Zippy, did all the in-locker room interviews with the players from National. And he asked Enrique, how much would it mean to you to make the PG All-American Classic? And Enrique said it would mean everything. As a matter of fact, my sister Yari is already looking up trips to San Diego. They want to go. It would mean the world to me. And he didn't make it. And I think athletes like that use that no 
And he didn't tell us this, but athletes like that, like Joe Adele in the big leagues getting cut from the USA team years ago, they use it as a motivation. They don't take it personal. They don't put their tail between their legs. They say, okay, what can I do to grow? And maybe not being an All-American was better for everybody else, especially Vanderbilt, because his numbers are laughable. I mean, when you go through a college season and you don't get thrown out at all trying to steal a base at all, that's one thing if you're three for three, but when you're 46 of darn 46, that's not, that's a joke. That doesn't happen. They plan for you. They pitch out for you. Catchers are ready for you and you never get thrown out. I, I, Enrique Bradfield, you've got to be kidding me. Like in his career numbers, 326, 453 on base, 456 slug, 93 of 99 stolen bases. You crushed it this week with two incredible athletes and it just, just popped into my mind. Two incredible athletes that were on the outside looking in as PG All-Americans and clearly are two of the best players in the country now. That's such a good tie. I didn't think about that. But I think what it does point to is a theme that we really haven't put together on purpose, but somehow it has happened that a lot of the guys who are now projected first-round picks in 2023 were guys who scratched and clawed their way to get to this point. It's not It's not a guy who was in the top 100 or top 50 or top 10 prospects going into college. These are guys who were just hoping to make the classic and didn't or hoping to go to that great school and they did. And then they made the most of it. But I love Enrique Bradfield for a couple of reasons. Number one is I feel like more than any other person who's come through Vanderbilt, we know how, how special Vandy boys are. He's just as much of a face as anybody else is. What he's done with that program and also stayed, right? The transfer portal is something that's, that's larger than life right now. He's staying there and he shared a story with us his freshman year and coach Corbin comments that Corbin made to him. And if I was Enrique, I don't know what I would do if my coach said that to me. We'll wait and let you hear him tell this story. <laughs> but then he goes on. He's a freshman of the year, SEC freshman of the year. Last season, a consensus All-America. This, this dude has earned everything that he's gotten. And on top of it all, he steals bases, which nobody does like he does anymore. Nobody does what he does anymore. And, and that's why everybody knows his name. He's Enrique. Everybody knows that. And, and I, I loved the conversation two years, I think two years ago, we saw him, we talked to him. You weren't there for that. Actually, you unfortunately weren't there. So I was flying solo. We had him and, and I'm glad that we got to catch up for his draft year. Tommy Troy, Enrique, here we go. I love this podcast. Wow, this is a fun reconnection, man. I mean, the world has watched you now. Uh, we were able to see you as a prep player, as a younger player at a lot of different events. I loved it. I, I really did. And one thing I recall is when we chatted years back, you talking about that little tiny baseball bat and that foam ball in your backyard at like three years old with your dad, Enrique. Now as you age and you grow a little bit more in this sport, what do you recollect about those first stages of baseball with dad? Those moments really set the foundation for, uh, for what I do now. Um, it's why I play the game because it's something that I kind of just instantly fell in love with. Um, so that's as long as I can remember playing baseball, it was just about me having fun and, and doing it because I actually enjoyed it. Uh, it wasn't forced on me or anything like that. It was just something that I, I just loved doing uh, and it remains the same now. So at PG National in 2019, you were very self-aware. You talked about, look, I'm a table setter. 
Uh, I'm a guy who sprays at the gaps. My favorite part of playing defense is taking away base hits and home runs and extra bases. You said all those things to us, you know, almost four years ago. You were, you were very self-aware. Where does that self-awareness come from? Being honest with yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, what you need to work on. Where does that self-awareness come from? I think a, a lot of it comes from just uh, reflecting internally, but at the same time having a, a, a group of people around me and um, whether it's been coaches, it's been teammates, uh, my, my parents, we've always kind of been honest with uh, when it comes to evaluating my game and, and how I'm doing. Uh, it's never just been fluff uh, to build my confidence because in the long run that doesn't really get you anywhere. So it's, uh, it's always been uh, an honest environment that I've been around, uh, especially in high school. Uh, I played for Bruce Avon, uh, Mike Macy, Guys like that really set that foundation in travel ball. It was uh, guys like John Calabrese for Elite Squad. It was just a, a, a great group of coaches that uh, really built honest uh, foundations in my head. That's a perfect word, fluff. That's perfect because you want reality. You want something that you can put your, your fork and your knife into and really dig into for yourself. That's a perfect word. I like that. Not a lot of fluff. D, sorry about that. I, I would like to build off that because I, I'm sure there have been conversations that you sat there and were listening and you're like, this isn't fun to hear. I don't like hearing this, but we all have those in, in sports especially. Is there one that sticks out to you, whether it was with family or people you trust around you where they were being constructive with their criticism, but you grew from the moment? Yeah, definitely. Uh... Uh, a time I, where I can recall that that happened uh, was during my freshman year, and it was my freshman fall, and I was still adjusting to college life, uh, the game of baseball, completely different than high school. Um, and in my exit fall meeting with Coach Corbin, we sat down and we were just going over my my performance uh, on the field. And when it came to my hitting, he, he pretty much summed it up as he didn't think I could hit 200 in the SEC, and that was kind of like a tough pill to swallow. But um, at the same time, going, going home over break with that in my head uh, kind of set me on a, on a different track. And he was being honest, and, you know, that criticism is what it is, and some people can take it and some people can't. But uh, I was able to build off that and, and really kind of just keep moving forward and trying to progress uh, as a baseball player. I mean, that's a super mature answer for a comment that I think would probably be a knife in the heart to a lot of kids, especially with the dreams that you have. And I'm looking at your bio here online and you got to scroll a long time, man. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that you've done. Sometimes I think how how long has Enrique been at Vanderbilt? I feel like you've just been a mainstay and you've you've represented this program for so long. So obviously you took those words to heart and you used it for good. How would you say or or what have you done for yourself that you can say I know I can hit better than that, and I know that I can I can be a force to be reckoned with in the SEC. It was just about uh, building my own confidence uh, and being able to do that through my my daily work, my daily routines, uh, finding what works personally for me, uh, and and kind of just throwing the results to the side. Everybody looks at the results of having a good game or having a good string of games, and uh, they they think that is is what's going to get their confidence, but. Uh, 
in reality, it's having those really tough moments and being able to stay true to who you are and what you've been doing that uh, really helped me build my confidence. It, w- it wasn't the results of the, all the good games. Um, there's going to be good and there's going to be bad, but if you can maintain your identity throughout both of them, um, that's where you can really find, find some confidence. Enrique, are you a baseball fan? I am. So if I told you about a player that got on base 43% of the time, that slugged close to 500, and that also was about a 94% success rate stealing bases, what would you tell me that's a good player? What would you tell me about that player? I would tell you that, that he's a really good player. Um, probably somebody who, who's a little, who's faster, has some quick twitch in him. Uh, definitely... If I if I have in mind who I think it is, uh, is it Ricky? It's you. Oh, well, <laughs> it's I you. Have that. <laughs> That's why I like that even better. It's you, and I and I love I love the the athlete such as you who understands how hard you've worked and what you've accomplished. But the, if I were just to ask you about the hey these these are your numbers, what do you think? Oh well, I need to improve upon this. It's, it's a good baseball player. That's the only point that I made. That's a really good baseball player. Those are your college numbers. Um, and, and I think for those younger, youngers that are listening, not everyone's going to gain your speed, right? Because some may have it and many won't. But there are ways to run the bases. There are ways to run the bases yeah. properly and to grow in that area. Look, there's plenty of fast guys who aren't great base dealers. You know that, right? Yeah. So give me, give me like tried and true tips, like two or three things that as a young athlete could help me improve not just as a base runner going first to third on a base hit, but as a base stealer. You were a base stealer at a high success rate. You're perfect last year, but at a high success rate. What are two or three tips you would tell me on how to improve as a base stealer? Well, the, the first one I'd give you has pretty much nothing to do with any technique or anything, but um, basically it's more of your mindset. Uh, when you get out there, you have to be playing aggressive, but you can't play uh in fear of making mistakes. Mistakes are gonna happen, but you really kind of have to push forward. So that'd probably be the first mistake, uh, the first piece of advice I'd give you is uh, playing without fear out there. That's gonna raise your confidence. And when you're stealing bases, the number one thing you need is confidence. Uh, I would say that's where probably a lot of people can, can really find themselves lacking in that department. But that alone can take your, your base stealing uh, game to a, another level uh in terms of that the another piece of advice is probably just knowing who's out there uh knowing the pitcher and knowing the catcher knowing the tendencies they both have how they like to work probably how they're gonna work against you it's more like of a mental game uh really when i get out there i'm trying to figure out how they're gonna attack me specifically and then from there that's where i go and i try and exploit them do you watch a lot of video? I do. I do. Video yeah. is, uh, is definitely something where you can pick up people's tendencies. A lot of the times when you get, get out there, a catcher may, may tip off that a, a breaking ball is coming because of how he sets up. He might set up too early. He might set up different for a fastball. Uh, it's just being able to know those small little details that, that can help you, uh, help you take your game to the next level. I'm taking notes. Sorry, I'm writing. I'm I'm gonna steal a lot of bases this year as well. <laughs> I want to go back to May when you stole home. Can you 
put us in your shoes and tell us every single thing that happened to make that possible and then how you felt after that moment? Yeah, uh, long night, tough game. Uh, we're down four, I think, going, or maybe three going into the last inning, if I'm, if I'm correct. Um, just get to third base. We have first and third, two outs. How did you get on? I have zero idea. <laughs> Me neither. Okay, you're in third base. Yeah, Keep talking. Third base. I'll look it up, kids. Okay. Keep talking. I'll look it up. <laughs> and I have uh, Spencer Jones at first base. I believe there's two outs. Okay. And Spencer is 6'7", 230, <laughs> 235 around there. At least that's what he was here. Um, but he's a freak athlete. He can really run. He can really move. So we have two good base runners, and we have TJ McKenzie, another fast player at the plate, pinch hitting, uh, his first at bat of the night, I believe. And it was it was kind of just something. It's like we haven't ran a play all year, and we train we train our plays. We do them all the time, but it's so rare that you actually get to try one and execute it to perfection. We had the the perfect pitch profile. Uh, for a pitcher on the mound, we had a lefty. Um, he had a, a high leg kick, kind of just the perfect scenario for us to try and execute a play. And I just looked at Corbin and I was like, we can really do something here. Um, so about two pitches before the actual steal of home, I, I basically walked out my lead. So I had that set in stone and walking out your lead two pitches beforehand also doesn't raise any flags that you're gonna do something right here on this play. Uh, at that point, it looks pretty normal. So I was in a, had a very good lead. Spencer was on the same page as me. And uh, once he came set, he, he turned his head to look at Spencer. And there I went. And Spencer followed my lead. And the, the play is, uh, is what you remember. I love that. And after, because I, I assume that when big moments like that happen, it's probably hard to remember in the moment what you're doing, what your face is doing, what like, right? You have these moments that are just kind of overtaken. What do you, what do you remember feeling after that? Uh, I remember my adrenaline going through the roof. Uh, <laughs> just seeing all my teammates come out of the dugout uh, and be so excited for me and for the team. Uh, that was probably the best part of the, the play. I remember uh, TJ giving me a high five and I probably smacked his hand entirely way too hard for somebody who was uh, about, a, about to try and win the game for us right there. So uh, definitely that was something that, that I was looking forward to. You singled, by the way. He He's, singled, okay. singled He's to singled. the right side. Yeah, single. Amazing. Real quick, That's... because I feel like you've made base stealing cool again and relevant again, because it's a lost art. We've talked about this, especially at the big league level. And with the bigger bases, maybe that's also an advantage for you when you do get up there. But like, do you ever think about the fact that you've, you've completely like transformed the idea of that part of a game being a really important part of a big league game too? Uh, no, that's not something that, that has ever been in my, my mind. Uh, I think I'll, I'll cross that path when I get there, and uh, only time will know when, when time is right. So uh, I think that maybe, maybe one day I might be able to, to reflect and, and look back on, uh, on that, in that, that scenario. Ricky Henderson, by the way, had a 401 career on base and a 419 career slug. 
but that's 25 years in the big leagues. That's that's what makes him so crazy, right? I mean, that's, that's a long that's, time, yeah. That's what, I, which is not to underplay your two years. That, <laughs> I'm not underplaying it. It's just that that's that shows you how great he was. Um, Co- Coach Corbin said, and it's on right there on your page, folks. Go read his his bio page, but. I kind of want to break open, as my priest likes to say every Sunday, break open his quote when he says his care level is so high on everything that he does. Now, I've never heard. I understand what the word care level means, but I've never heard it used. I've never said, hey, Danny has a great care level when she produces our podcast. So but I really get it. So when your coach says that your care level, like if this is your care tank, it's here Explain why he says that, and what does that mean when your coach says that about you? I think um, it just really means that everything that I do, I'm going to give you 100% of my effort. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of small details that go into being special as a teammate, as a student, um, as a baseball player in general, just even a, a human. Um, and I, I feel like that's something that needs to be highlighted. So taking care of a lot of smaller details, making sure you cross your, your T's and dot your I's uh, is something that, that would basically describe a person with a high care level. Um, I'm very internally motivated for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different things. Um, I, I like to thrive in the classroom. I, I want to try and achieve the best grades I can. Because I know that's going to translate to other parts of my life, whether it's baseball, it's off the field as a person. Uh, so really, when it, when it comes to, to doing everything, I'm trying to maximize my potential. Yeah, you're a four-year National Honor Society and American Heritage. I remember us talking about that. Academically, you know, what have you enjoyed the most about your college journey? Specifically, what are you studying and you know, what challenges have been there for you in the classroom? What have you enjoyed about being a college student at a school like Vanderbilt? I've definitely enjoyed the the freedom in my schedule as far as not being in school for about seven hours like high school was. Uh, I definitely don't think I could ever go back and do something like that. Um, but just the ability, I'm studying human organizational development, uh, which is a, a major unique to Vanderbilt, really, but it teaches us how, to, how we fit in organizations, how organizations function, uh, and it puts us in a great perspective to understand if a, a certain place is right for us, if this is what we're actually looking for. Um, and the best part about it, I think, has just being able to apply real life things in the classroom. Uh, you know, some, some majors, and that's no knock on any other majors, you might never apply in real life. Uh, and just the major that I'm studying gives me the opportunity to take everything off the field and kind of just apply it all my experiences, whether I've had interviews, um, internship opportunities, working with foundations for uh, charity, different organizations, and kind of just putting my experiences in and being able to take out the understanding of how they, they run. Love that. Man, I love that. I, I, I wanted to follow up because we talked about guys that give back and and your vandy boys give back i think it's it's so well documented and it's cool to see them pay it forward kumar rocker tony kemp two guys that you mentioned and i know we've talked about kumar a bunch tony based in nashville what do you appreciate about them and about the time that you get to spend learning from them 
I just appreciate them for just uh, just being available to us, you know. Um, even guys like Mike Yershemsky, he's always around. Um, Kirk Casale, we have tons of guys, even guys who haven't played here ever, stepped foot on this campus as a, a Vanderbilt student, are in the facility, they're hitting the cages, and they're always just willing to, to have a conversation with you. If you have a question, they'll, they'll answer it. Um, just be human with us. Uh, so that's pretty cool as, as being a college student and being able to create these relationships with guys who hopefully, you know, one day we all see ourselves in that position. Great answer. That's all I have, D. Good. Thank you. Enrique. Great stuff, man. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I always appreciate getting the opportunity to speak with you guys. Perfect Games National Crosschecker is Brian Sikowski. He is a passionate coverer of college. Is that a thing, coverer of college? He covers college baseball so very well. All levels, by the way. Uh, the junior college, he's, he's a spokesperson, really, on behalf of junior college baseball, all the way up to the highest levels of D1. The best part about Brian is he has seen most of these college stars and that make up these college teams when they were 14, 15, 16 years old. He knows who they are. He knows their skill set. So Brian Sikowski, as we head into the college baseball season and move into week one, opens up his scouting notebook and talks college baseball. College baseball season is very nearly here. Division one starting off this week, of course. Uh, although if you've been paying attention, JUCO has been underway for a couple weeks. But anyways, this we're talking about D1 today. We're talking about players. Uh, my esteemed colleague, Vinny Servino, is going to run you through uh, his top 25 heading into the season. Uh, I'm going to talk more about the players specifically, obviously, uh, from a draft perspective as always. Um, but at as we know, there are kind of two or three big names at the top of the draft circuit right now, the top of the draft board from college baseball. Dylan Cruz, the center fielder from LSU, Chase Dolander, the right-handed pitcher from Tennessee, and Wyatt Lankford, the outfielder from Florida. Those are the three with, uh, you know, if you follow this week to week, it feels like it's Lankford and, and Cruz kind of by themselves at the top uh, with Dolander, Jacob Gonzalez from Ole Miss, Enrique Bradfield. We'll talk about those guys in a second. Uh, but the big two, Cruz and Langford, the only Cruz everyone knows about. He's been a star since the moment he decided he was going to college. Uh, elite exit velocities, good athleticism, consistent performance, uh, Golden Spikes caliber talent and, and performer, uh, a guy who's been the, the odds-on favorite to be the first overall pick. Um, we'll see this year how he performs. There's really There really aren't a lot of holes in his game right now. Uh, we, we're going to spend most of the spring trying to look for some. We're trying to decide. Uh, but either way, he enters the spring as your prohibitive 1-1 favorite and out of college baseball, no less as well. But Wyatt Langford, excuse me, from Florida is the hot name right now. Uh, as we sit here in mid-February, start of the season, we're still running through fall data. We're still running through scrimmage data from the spring. Langford is the hot name. It's elite power. It's 110 mile per hour plus exit velocities uh, with ideal loft to the swing. He hits a, he's going to hit a ton of home runs. He did last year. It's big time power that plays to every part of the ballpark, including straightaway center field. He's also a very, very good runner uh, with reports of 70. Uh, that's on the 20 to 80 scale for scouting. 70 run times this spring in scrimmages. Uh, not necessarily a, a true 70 runner in the in the sense of in the outfield, but down the line he's a burner and he could beat out infield hits and, and really add a different element to his game that you, you don't necessarily think of when you see corner outfielder power hitter. So that power speed combination, 
the exit velocities like we talked about, the consistency of the impact, the athleticism. Maybe he plays center field eventually because of that speed. We don't know. We've really only seen him in a corner. Uh, that'll be a question we'll be looking forward to answering this spring as well. Cruz and Lankford right now, mark the date, of February 13th. Those are the two popular names. We'll see how that sounds in about five months when the draft finally kicks off. Uh, moving down the board a little bit, Chase Dolander is, right now is the guy as far as the arms go. Uh, with some, he's got some unicorn stuff in reality. This is a extremely talented, extremely athletic, really good mover, really good delivery. The arm speed stands out. He's into triple digits. He has uh, excellent changeup. We'll see the curveball and the slider as well. Both pitches flash plus. It's a four plus or better pitch package here with command, with athleticism like we talked about. It's just as we've learned, you know, it seems especially in the last couple of years, uh, especially taking pitchers that high is, is, really, is risky. It's inherently very risky just as a result of the fact that pitchers break all the times and sometimes you just don't know and it, it's harder to kind of see the future with them in that sense. Um, but regardless of that, Dolander's got some of the best stuff uh, in the country, if not the best stuff in the country. And right behind him, kind of on his heels, you talk about a couple different guys. Paul Skeens, the transfer, who is at uh, LSU, obviously transferred from Air Force. He's a two-way guy. He's a right-handed pitcher as well as an extremely physical and powerful right-handed hitting first baseman, a guy who's got all kinds of juice from the right side of the plate. But when you ask pro scouts, when you talk to teams, they mostly see him as more of a, of a pitcher long-term, just from the draft perspective, and what a, what a talent he is. He's huge and right-handed and throws really hard, and the slider is a potential 70-grade pitch. It's wipeout stuff. He should be extremely impactful right away at LSU, expecting huge things from him there. Uh, he's a name to keep an eye on. Rhett Louder is a name to keep an eye on. Guy from Wake Forest. He's got the best command of the college pitching class. This is a guy who doesn't overwhelm you with stuff yet. He doesn't have raw stuff on par with Dullander or Skeens or, or who we'll talk about next in Florida righty Hurston Waldrop. But Louder has flashes of what look like 70 command, truly insane command. The fastball shape is solid. He has above average to plus stuff. It's just not as loud as the others. But when you factor in that command, factor in the ability he has to pitch, it kind of plays to that level anyways. So he is different from the other guys in that sense, but still right up here at the top when we're talking about players for the draft. And, of course, I mentioned Hurston Waldrop, the right-hander from Florida, transferred in from Southern Miss. When we talk about stuff, you have to include Waldrop when you're talking about just pure unadulterated, gross stuff. Uh, into the upper 90s with a fastball. It's a vicious 70-grade breaking ball. He's got a 60 slider, too. Uh, it's nightmare stuff to hit against. It checks out uh, data-wise. It checks out eye test-wise. It checks out when you're watching hitters swing against it. We'll see on his command, though. Let's say he's walked guys throughout the course of his career. Uh, we'll see how it works going from Southern Miss to the SEC. Obviously a, a notable jump regardless. So we'll see how that plays. That's something we're, we're looking forward to figuring out. Uh, there's an interesting battle in terms of college infielders. Braden Taylor from TCU, one of those guys. Jacob Wilson from Grand Canyon, one of those guys. Uh, these players, Matt Shaw, I think you can include in that from Maryland. Uh, these players who aren't quite at the top of the draft board. Jacob Gonzalez obviously leading the way there uh, from Ole Miss. Um, a group of them who all look like pretty slam dunk first rounders. All of them maybe even look like top 20 picks. 
and your view of them, the order in which you view them is kind of in the eye of the beholder, depending on what you like. Jacob Wilson is the, the super high on base, super talented defender at short. We've heard reports of him having added some power. That was the thing that was missing as he's gained strength, as he's kind of gained loft to his swing. Uh, the exit velocities, the, the distance, the ability to hit home runs, that's that's grown. Braden Taylor's probably a third baseman. Uh, probably not a shortstop, probably a third baseman, but that's okay. Uh, a left-handed hitter, plays at TCU, really solid defender there. Uh, all kinds of potential offensive impact in his left-handed bat. Jacob Gonzalez is the household name. This is a guy uh, pretty often in the top five, depending on who you look at, uh, of draft boards overall. Left-handed hitting shortstop at Ole Miss. Got to see how for sure of a glove he is at short this year. Uh, I don't think there's a, a common refrain that says he won't play short, but it's something we're looking for in terms of him kind of proving that. Uh, and obviously the impact of the left-handed bat, he hits for power, uh, he walks a lot. Uh, he can add some value on the base pass too. Just so much to like there from him. And Matt Shaw, uh, another guy who's probably not a shortstop necessarily long-term, but guy second base, third base, he's got some experience in both spots. But what an offensive player this guy is at Maryland. Uh, what a player he's developed into by that Maryland staff. Uh, a guy you always have to to touch on when you're talking about the top bats in the class. A guy who looks like a top 20 pick. Uh, we'll see how he performs. But keep in mind, important to remember, he was the top performer on the Cape this past summer. Something that's always uh, heavily weighted uh, when it comes to building draft boards and putting guys in good spots. There's some interesting players a little bit further down the board, just in terms of picking them off the top of my head to talk about Johanny Morales at Miami, a guy who's huge and athletic and has so much power from the right side of the plate. And, and he looks like a slam dunk first rounder, but this is a guy who, if he goes off this spring, can go in the top five picks. A guy with tools like that who has the ability to impact the game in a myriad of ways like he does. If he gains a little bit more consistency, if he if he really goes off, we're talking about him shooting up the board in a big way. Um, of course, we have to talk about Brock Wilkin, the third baseman from Wake Forest. After a monster freshman year, kind of a more quiet sophomore year, uh, both at Wake and on the Cape. No, there was some inconsistencies fighting through, but a guy who has as much power as anybody in the country, and uh, even though it's from the right side of the plate, just uh, if he finds a little bit more consistency this year with his swing path, with his overall swing decisions, a guy that we could see shooting back into more of that slam dunk first round range than kind of the fringe range where we have him right now. But anyways, regardless of how you phrase it, it looks like a great college class this year. It looks like a class that's going to produce a ton of first rounders. There's a ton of guys that, that are earning good big leaguer grades from scouts. Uh, our scouts included, as well as those from major league teams. Uh, the high school class looks solid as well. But again, we expect this to be a college-dominated first round uh, with any number of the players we've broken down in this little segment having a chance at being called to the podium by the commissioner once we get to the draft in July. College baseball getting underway this weekend. We're all excited to watch it. I know I can't wait. Make sure you stay tuned to Perfect Game and at PG College Ball specifically on Twitter for all the action. In 2020, I talked with Tommy Troy, and the one thing that we all shared in 2020 was the unknown, right? That's common ground, whether you're, uh, in the case of his father, working in law enforcement, whether you're an actor, whether you're a teacher, it was all the unknown. And, and Tommy, I can recall talking to you before you went to campus, and you, you, you recollected, you, you, you said, I'm not sure when we're going to be able to go. I hope they'll let us go in September. We're doing Zoom meetings every week. And to use an old 20s line, meaning the 1920s, you've come a long way, baby, because your class of 20, you and the likes of Drew Bowser and others, 
came into the weirdest, most ridiculous way to start college, and now here you sit, a high draft pick, if you stay healthy and if you take care of your business. What were those early days like when you finally dropped your duffel bag and your crap inside of your dorm at Stanford to begin things? What were those early days like when you first started? Oh, man. Those early days were nuts. I'm, I want to highlight the first couple weeks before we even allowed to use the Stanford facilities, just the way things work. We had to get COVID testing and stuff. I mean, I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was me, um, Carter Graham, and Alberto Rios. Um, I, I had my car in the area, and I would leave it over at someone's house near campus. And I still remember waking up at 4 a.m., to drive our bikes in the rain early in the morning to my car to drive to a facility um, off campus where the coaches kind of set a little something up for the guys who were staying on campus. It was only probably 40% of the team that was staying on campus at the time. And we go train over there for the first couple weeks. Um, And then just kind of adjusting to the rest of the fall. I mean, yeah, it was definitely a, a weird fall kind of transition from a, from doing nothing to doing all that stuff and having online classes where there's not really much accountability. Um, it was definitely, yeah. But I mean, like in the end, it ended up working out really well. I mean, it just shows you how much the fall really matters. Like it doesn't really matter as much as you think, just cause I mean, we had 40% of our team there in the fall. And then in the winter, we had like two weeks of practice to prepare for the season. And we still rolled through a bunch of guys and, you know, we we're still super close as a team. So, I mean, like, all in all, that first year, first experience was really awesome. And less than a year later, after our conversation, you were hitting a home run in Omaha in the College World Series against your rivals, Arizona. Like, time flies. I, I, I do want to go back, too, not to talk about the emotion and the, the challenges, and thank you for that descriptive answer. But the one thing you talked about, Tony, then was that you took the quiet time to really refine your swing, working with the Soderstrom family and their hitting facility. You talked about the efficiency of your bat path and your approach. You really went in depth on that. Has that continued to evolve? And did you feel like that was foundationally a good place for you to start in college baseball, to have that bat path in a place? And since then, where have you come as a hitter, specifically speaking to those mechanics? I've taken even more leaps and bounds um, just as I've always wanted to just become more of a complete hitter. I feel like freshman year, you know, I was still a pretty immature hitter. You know, I was a pretty momentum, really aggressive. I I still am a pretty aggressive hitter, but I feel like over the past couple of years, I've really refined my approach and refined the way my body works. You know, I've had a more, I've had a more deeper understanding of how my body works and, you know, like how my body wants to move. So, I mean, like I really trained and worked hard to, you know, really make those things re- as efficient as they can, um, just the way I've trained and the drills I do with adjustability, this and that. So I feel like just over the past couple of years, I have refined my bath path. I have refined my uh, approach and, and polished up certain things. So the people that are around you helping you do that, uh, whether it's at Stanford, whether it's family, it's your friends. I mean, you, you have such a good community of guys around you. I, I think that the classes, I would say like last year's draft class and then the next few to me stand out as guys who I taught Darren the word gatekeeping. You, you guys don't gatekeep, right? You you share all this information together to make each other better laughing but who are those people around you that have helped you get to this point that you're talking about i mean it's been a a number of people i mean i have teammates on my 
team right now who we bounce hitting ideas off each other all the time. We'll have we'll have nights where we're just talking about hitting out out in the living room together because I live in a in a suite with uh, some teammates. We just talk hitting for hours. Just you know having having like that kind of system is really awesome. I mean like I also have guys that I work with um, outside of the team as well. I mean. Uh, guys like Eugene Bleeker with One Eight Performance, I'll talk to him uh, every once in a while. And then I'll, during the off season, if I drive over to Central Valley, I'll, I'll go hit with Tyler Soderstrom, a really good friend of mine as well. And we, I love to hit with him and learn things from him. I mean, I, but on top of all that, we have a an incredible um, hitting program here at Stanford that really allows you to be the hitter that you want to be. You know what works best for you. There isn't. There's no cookie cut approach. There's no cookie cut way of hitting here at Stanford and I really feel feel like that allows guys here to you know be the best version of themselves. Could you bring us into the most recent conversation you had whether it was in your living room with your roommates or it was with Tyler like bring Darren and I in what was the last thing you talked hitting wise like tell us everything that you guys talked about. Sure I mean two nights ago we're sitting in the living room uh, for about 45 minutes we just break breaking down swings of different hitters. I mean, we'll just pull up Twitter and YouTube and a bunch of different guys' swings and talk hitting. We'll look up stats and all that. I mean, like it's fun. I mean, like to have guys like that, you know, who who are bought into just like, you know, obviously, you know, it, everything in moderation. You know, looking at analytics and looking at stuff like that. But it's fun to be able to break things down and and think, you know, hitting, you know, a little more analytical here and there. But I mean, yeah, a couple of nights ago we were. Uh, just going over each other's swings and like how our body's moving and, you know, uh, how, how we can get better. You know, how, how do you so, end the conversation? Yeah. You're like, all right, that's good. Like, all right, let's move on to the next topic. How do you, like, when do you decide, all right, we, we exhausted this now. We talked hitting enough. I don't know. It's, it's kind of, I mean, I guess it kind of just ends naturally, you know, after a while, if one of us has something to do like one by one, people will head out of the room, but you know, like our suite that we have it's a six bedroom suite with uh drew bowser carter graham alberto rios eddie park and joey dixon um but we have a lot of people over all the time like a lot of freshmen come in and out in our living room and we hang out all the time and talk so i mean like our team's so tight so we'll just have nights where just guys are over and we're just talking baseball or or if we don't want to talk baseball but i mean it's all pretty natural we all hang out a ton over here so so, so, so you've been a Stanford Cardinal for a couple of years, but the eight and nine-year-old you wanted to be a Stanford Cardinal. Describe that love affair with the school when you were eight or nine playing on a <laughs> on a little knockabout Stanford Cardinal team. That team. <laughs> I mean, that was a long time ago, but I mean, yeah, I fell in love with the with the school back then for sure. I mean, because we got to practice on the field, and I thought like just the field was just so cool. You know, it's in like. It's in the trees. It's it's in such a nice area. You know, it's close to home. Um, so I mean, like, yeah, when I was young, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a school I want to go to. And you know, being here now is just really awesome. It's really cool. Well, and that's my follow up. And I know Big Brother's watching, but I like Big Brother, your sports information director, Tyler. He's a, he's a very good man. Has it lived up to expectations? Because many times in life, we have a dream thing or a dream that I actually got to do it as a major league announcer. It was always my dream, just like you going to Stanford. And it lived up to my expectations for sure. Has it lived up to your expectations and even better? Yeah. Yeah. That and more for sure. I mean, like, obviously like I fell in love with the coaching staff as soon as I committed, but like just once I got here, like just our culture that we have as a team, um, it, like I can't, I can't, I don't know how it can get better than this, honestly, like just the, 
the how close we are and the, the stuff that we do with each other, how much we support each other. It, it's just different, you know. We're, we're you know we're we're loose, but we're still extremely competitive. Uh, we just love to have fun, you know, and have being able to play baseball like that just makes you so much better, you know, where you're not stressing, you're not, you know, you you start to just not care as much about yourself, you know. It's more just like about the team, as cliche as it sounds, like just being in that being with that vibe and that atmosphere with the team, you start to just free up and, and have fun, you know, and it just goes on to the next guy. It's like a domino effect. Well, what part of, what part of your world um, do they hold you most accountable? Your teammates that you trust where you say, guys, help me with this. I need you to hold me accountable for this. And I know you're pretty self-disciplined from being a black belt when you were young yeah, your mom's a, a distance runner, a marathoner. They both had athletics. Your dad working in law enforcement. I get the discipline that you yeah. brought to the table, but where do they help you with that discipline? Where do they hold you accountable most, your teammates? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things. I mean, I guess it's it's still the little things, you know. The little things matter, and you know, our our team really holds everyone else accountable. It could be as something as simple as like you know leaving some trash out in front of your locker, this and that. You know, we all like kind of try to hold each other accountable with those little things, you know, and also just, and also just having fun. I feel like a, a, a good, a really important thing is to be able to separate your life from baseball. Um, and that's something that my teammates, you know, help me with too, you know, and help, we all help each other out. You know, it's like, like separating, you know, let's say you're not doing well in baseball, can't let it affect, you know, your life outside of baseball. You got to still do, do the same normal things and be able to have fun with your teammates and, you know, have good energy and be super happy, you know, um, because it's like life's too short for, you know, to, to dwell over having a bad baseball week and this and that. So I feel like over the past couple of years with, you know, the ups and downs I've had, I've had the best support system with my teammates and, you know, we all bring each other up. Every time you, you talk about your team, just in the last, we're talking for 10 minutes, I'm like, I want to go play for Stanford. I want to, I want to be a part of this. Like this, what you describe seems ideal in so many different ways. And I want to go back because you've talked a lot about doing the little things right. And, and earlier I asked you, you know, one of your favorite memories so far, and it feels like it's a microcosm of who you guys are as a team. Cause I got to see you in Omaha. I got to see the end result. I didn't see the whole journey last year, but you mentioned it was the Texas state game to advance to your super regionals, the Texas state game where you and Drew Bowser go back to back in the bottom of the ninth and you come back and you said it was just about being in the moment. Right. And then that, that felt the same about UConn, just being in the moment. Who could be in the moment most right then and there? And and then you guys do advance to Omaha. So in your your third season, back to back to back, right, going there three times in a row, what, what will be the difference maker this season for your team? Because you've got new faces now, but you've got some veteran guys. What's, what's the little thing that could be the difference maker this year? I mean, I guess it's just a little bit more cohesion. Um, and it is, it is just kind of refining those little things even more. I feel like, you know, we've had the talent to do it the past couple of years. It's just a matter of just when we get up on the, the biggest stage in college baseball, how we can continue to perform like how we did all before that, you know, um, it's really just going to come down to that. Like if we're hot at that time, um, I feel like it, like no one's going to be able to stop us. But I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of if you're going to show up on the biggest stage. And I feel like, Again, we have the talent again this year to do it. We just got we just have to show up and perform. Each week on Perfect Game TV, and if you don't have it, go get it on your smart device and you can download on a smart TV as well. Your 
your, your tablet, wherever you'd like to find it, go find perfectgame.tv. It's a Roku Fast channel. You can find it there as well if you're someone who has Roku, Roku providing your streaming TV. So we have that show each and every week. It drops every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Perfect Game College Baseball. Hunter Pence and I co-host the show. Um, and, and this week, we've got a great guest, Paul Skeens. He's a huge name. He's He's Shohei Otani. He was a Shohei Otani fan growing up in Orange County, California. He now is with LSU. He was with Air Force the first two years, two-time All-American, throws 95-plus on the mound, hits balls 500 feet with a bat in his hands. Hunter Pence and Paul Skeens as part of Perfect Game College Baseball. Facing some of the best hitters. And by the way, the SEC is going to be full of a lot of those. Obviously, you know, Dylan Cruz is ranked number one. Uh, but you learn when you play the best, iron sharpens iron. What has the experience at LSU been like? And what are some of the things that you've learned working with the pitching staff, Jay Johnson? These are the highest level, you know, baseball minds, uh, in my opinion, in the world, in the nation. Yeah, um, it, it's a new environment for sure. Um, and a, and a, a huge opportunity to work with them. Uh, I came here to work with Coach Jay and uh, Coach Wes. Um, and they have been everything that I have expected and wanted and a lot more um and uh you know if you ask coach johnson uh what uh about coach west he'll, he'll say that coach west is the best pitching coach in the world um and so to hear that coming from him um it's awesome to be able to work with a guy uh with his pedigree you know every day um develop with him and and then he's developed the pitching staff as a whole um so much and you know competing with with all the guys on the pitching staff um but it, it's it's been really cool to be able to um work you know have this these facilities um all the people around this program um and all the support um go, going into the season and i just i really just can't wait to see what it's going to be like um you know during the season yeah, it's definitely exciting to see. And like watching, I got to watch a little bit of your film with Team USA. And, you know, your big guy, 6'6, 240 ish, uh, a lot of power. But man, you are under control, calm, smooth delivery. The mechanics are, are really sound, both hitting and pitching. And this is where I, I love to dive into this stuff. And I want to hear just like, you know, you're already coming into LSU with some of these great minds with a really well well-tuned mechanics that work for you uh to me i think you're kind of you look like degrom to me with a little bit of a lower angle but tell me a little bit about where you got your mechanics are you working with any of that what is some of the nuts and bolts of what you're working with with the pitching staff there at lsu yeah if you had told me five years ago that i would be um you know one of the uh i mean a pitcher uh, <laughs> a, a pitcher that throws really hard um uh, I would have laughed at you because that was, that wasn't the, the route that I thought I was going to go on. Um, and so when I was in high school, I was, it was, I was, I thought I was going to be a catcher and I was working every day to catch and hit. Um, and then at some point, I think probably my junior year, I started pitching again. Um, like out of relief, I didn't throw bullpens or anything. I just topped up on the mound and threw the ball as hard as I could. Um, and then my senior year, I started working out a little bit more. Um, and I think my body really, you learn to move on the mound because of what I did, uh, all the work that I did hitting wise. Um, and so pitching, it's been, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of coaching there other than, you know, some pitch grips and like cueing, you know, where my hand is at release and that kind of thing. But the, the overall movement pattern, I would say of, of me on the mound, it's pretty natural. Um, and so now coming in here uh, and working with coach West, like 
it's it's a lot more of the nuts and bolts, I think, than than I have done in the past. But it's been a, a good adjustment. Yeah, I think my favorite moment in that, and I think it was genuine. I don't think he was deflecting or it was false humility. And when I say false, Enrique, I don't mean truly false. I, I don't think he was trying to be humble. But when he guessed Ricky, meaning Ricky Henderson, when I gave the triple slash line of Enrique's numbers, I was I was kind of trying to trap him in a sense of, yeah, of course that guy's good. I'm a baseball fan. That's a good player. That's you. And I thought he'd kind of smirk and figure it out. Oh, those are my numbers. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you I'm okay. You know, he thought it was Ricky Henderson. And then he couldn't bring it back. And he realized he had compared himself to Ricky Henderson. Not on purpose. I trapped him there and had him do it. I think that was my favorite moment of the conversations. You go back. He's talked extensively about Enrique watches Ricky Henderson video. He goes back and watches how Ricky did it because he wants to be the best. He is the definition student of the game. And so he's gone back and studied exactly what made Ricky so successful. And I, I think that he, again, he makes base stealing cool again. He stole home. He stole home last season. Like that's a dude who's bringing baseball to a different level. And it's, it's benefiting him too, right? Everybody knows him as a base dealer. And, and the tips that he gave, when you asked for that I love that I was thinking to myself is Darren asking for himself like if Darren wanted to steal a base this is how he would do it I I just loved that he gave those genuine tips again no gatekeeping how how do you do it well the number one tip which I love that he said it has nothing to even do with base running so this is a, a dude who puts on a master class I I really I can't say enough about him I could talk forever but just a huge fan and he's good for the game Enjoy the first few weeks of college baseball. Have fun with them. Uh, find your favorite teams and players. We, we're glad you found us. Go ahead and subscribe because when we drop a new one, uh, you, you'll find it right there. We're, we're moving these on to Perfect Game TV. You should find them on occasion on YouTube. But, but really, more than anything, find the audio. Subscribe however you get your podcast. This has been a great one. We'll, we'll have more of these in the next couple of weeks. The guys that play their way into the draft. Danny, Darren? Perfect Games, Amateur Hour. It's probably the best podcast, at least that you've heard in the last two hours. So we're glad you stopped by.